Good morning, His people. Welcome to church. And it's such a privilege for me to bring the word this morning. And my name is Jacques. And uh, at His People Church, we are passionate about Him and people. And uh, if you want to visit our website, the details on your screen, www.hispeoplepmb.co.za. If you want to get more, we upload all the slides for this message to our website as well. So if you are listening, you could even go and check out the, the, the website over there. But this morning, I'm actually wanting to carry on with what we looked at last week. And I, I, if you remember last week, I actually put up a quote by Roland Baker. And this week, um, Anne, the one lady in our church, actually sent this quote, which was so similar, this time by Patricia King. And Patricia King said, We don't seek revival. We seek Him. And when we seek Him, revival comes. Isn't that beautiful? And so, you know, we say we passion about Him. You see, when we seek the Lord, there's so much in seeking God. Um, remember, Roland Baker spoke about, you know, his, his priority is not, for example, prayer, but his focus is the one to whom we pray. And he went through a list of, of such vital, important things, but the focus needs to be on Jesus. And there's that scripture that I often, I often pray, if, if Jesus be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto him. And so, and so that's the heart really behind just this, this word. And, and we're looking in John chapter 4, and we're looking at um, the story of the Samaritan woman, where the Samaritan woman meets her Messiah. And it's such a beautiful story. Firstly, we're just seeing Jesus, how he just smashes through all the cultural and societal norms to speak to this woman. And so the message title is Passion for and Like Jesus. I'm praying that I would have passion like Jesus, for example, for the Samaritans in, in my city. And so the this. And, and, and when you read the story and you just see how Jesus was uh, with this woman, it just makes, makes us, it makes me just so much passion, more passionate for him. So come with us on this journey. So I want to just uh, put this quote up again. Last week I did put this up. The Gospel of John is a combination of both simplicity and depth. Its stories are so simple that even a child will love them, but its statements are so profound that no philosopher can fathom them. And so in the story of the Samaritan woman who meets her Messiah, uh, in John 4 verse 25, we, we kind of did the story up to this point, and then we kind of went to the end of the story. So I want to fill in these couple of slides that we didn't get to last week. And we're picking up in John 4 verse 25. Where, where the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And remember, Jesus had just spoken to about worship and the Father seeking those who will worship in spirit and in truth. And, and this is her response. She's, she's, she's realizing this is, this is just profound what this this, this man is saying to me, and, and she's speaking about the Messiah. And Jesus says, verse 26, Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. 
And I said last week, this is the most clear, resounding declaration that Jesus made nearly to any, anybody else in the Gospels, to a Samaritan woman next to a well. It is incredible. And, you know, I, do, I just get from that that, you know, you don't need to have some fancy qualification for the Lord to just reveal amazing, profound truths to you and to me. But look at what Jesus said. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, I've highlighted on the screen, I am, and, and I just put it in, in a different color font to highlight that these are the exact words that God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. And so when he said, I am the Messiah, in those same words, this woman and anybody who heard her would have realized he's basically saying, I am God. And we know Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. But the fact that Jesus used those words, and remember, these are the words he said. God said in Exodus to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Because Moses asked the Lord at the burning bush, well, who do I say who sent me? And the Lord says, I am. Just so profound. And, and just years ago when I was praying about it, I said, I said, Lord, I am isn't a sin. It's not a complete statement. Surely you should say I am something. And, you know, the reality is God is so, is so, is so big. He's so majestic. He's so that to put one word after I am just, just doesn't do it justice. And I remember the Lord just, just dropping into my spirit that I am the word that we put in after that is very often just who we need God to be in the, in the circumstances we are facing. So the Lord says, I am the Messiah. But let's just look at this, this woman's spiritual journey through just these verses from pretty much verse 3 of chapter 4 to verse 42, about, about 40 verses. The journey of her discovering who Jesus is. It's, it's quite amazing. And look at this. Firstly, she viewed Christ as a Jew in verse 9. Uh, and I'll put the scripture there. How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? So there she's recognizing by his dress and probably his demeanor that he's a Jew. Then, secondly, in verse 19, after he shares that word of knowledge with her, apologies last week I know I said his word of wisdom, um, when he shares the word of knowledge about having had other husbands etc, she says her response, is, her response is, sir I perceive that you are a prophet. And yet first a Jew now she's saying oh this, this is somebody else, not just any Jew, this is a prophet. But then finally she recognizes him as the Messiah and the Christ. In verse 25, she said, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And in verse 29, when she runs into the village and she goes and tells everybody, she says to him, could this be the Christ? She recognized he's not just a Jew, he's not just a prophet, but he is the Christ and the Messiah. And so can you see this journey? And folks, we're all on a journey, a very similar journey of discovering who this wonderful Lord and Savior and Messiah and Liberator and Deliverer and Redeemer 
and lover and everything that Jesus is to us. It's, it's such a delightful journey. And so I trust that as we, as we just trust the Holy Spirit to un, un, unpack the scriptures, that, that you, you will also just, the veil will lift and you'll see more of who Jesus is. And you yourself will just, just fall, fall more in love with Jesus, become more passionate for Jesus and to be like him. And so let's just look on. I want to, so um, in John 4 verse 25, she, she recognizes he's the Messiah and the Christ. But this word Messiah, it's a word that she uses. It's a word that the disciples also use. When Jesus at the end of John chapter 1, when he called some of the disciples, remember I think it was Andrew ran to go call the others and he said, I found the Messiah. So in this culture, they used this word Messiah. And it was quite a big word. And I, and I just wanted to look at this. Why this word Messiah? What did it mean to them that they were referring to Jesus as the Messiah? So the Messiah in Judaism is a savior and liberator figure believed to be the future redeemer of the Jewish people. Now it's important to understand that the Jews still today look forward to their Messiah coming. As Christians, we know the Messiah came, he died on a cross, and he's ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father today. But that is the significant difference between, between what Jews believe and the reality of Christianity. And so um, a liberator, one of the words used is a liberator. And, and it was the word out of all of these, you know, the word savior. I think we, 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 we're quite familiar with that. But this word liberator, using that word, I was like, sure. Let's just dig a little bit here. A liberator is someone who sets people free from a system, situation, or set of ideas that restricts them in some way. You know, when I was looking at that definition, I was like, I think I get the whole thing of a liberator, people setting people free from a system or situation. But as I was thinking about it, a liberator setting people free of ideas, I thought that's actually the most profound work of a liberator. And, you know, in our, in our South African context, I think most people would, for example, be able to relate to Madiba as a liberator. But Jesus is very much a liberator because setting us free from wrong ideas, so many wrong ideas before we come to know the Lord and in our journey of getting to know the Lord, wrong ideas about God, about ourselves, about life, about so many things. Jesus comes to set us free from ideas and, and things that keep us in bondage, just negative thinking that keep us in bondage. And, and, and he comes to set us free. But what I also did is just look at some of the synonyms for a liberator. It's a deliverer, a savior, a rescuer, redeemer, defender, a guardian, protector, good Samaritan, preserver, a knight in shining armor, a friend in need. Wow. That is all that that. When, when, when a Jewish person refers to a Messiah, that's what they were looking for. But remember, back in the day, they were actually looking for a Messiah that would come in the physical realm. And like a David, who literally, um, you know, 
conquered the enemies. David basically subdued the, the, the enemies, the Philistines, etc. around them. They were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. They were looking for a physical um, you know, general who would come in his big white horse with a sword and an army and actually liberate them. But Jesus didn't come to establish a physical kingdom. He came to establish a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as it's also referred to in the Gospels. And so we're going to look at some of these, these scriptures um, just for, for a Messiah. And it says, Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From your midst. So in Deuteronomy, this is Moses speaking, and he's prophesying here that God's going to raise up a prophet, speaking and prophesying. Moses is prophesying literally thousands of years into the future from where he was to Jesus Christ coming. And remember, this is was in the Jewish and Samaritan culture. They were looking forward to this great redeemer, this great general, this great liberator to come forth. Daniel 7, verse 13 to 14. Daniel says, I saw there came one like a son of man, and to him was given dominion and glory and, and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now today we understand totally the nature of the kingdom of God being a spiritual kingdom like a mustard seed that, 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 that eventually grows and literally fills the whole earth, Jesus said on the, on the story of the mustard seed. But, but back in the day, they thought this was going to be a physical liberator, a physical general who was going to come and do this. Some more scriptures for you in Micah 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth... For me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. The Jews love this and have fully embraced and have a, a great expectation of a Messiah coming. The Messiah is Jesus. He has come. And these scriptures are totally fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And finally, I love the scripture in Isaiah 9. For to us is a, a child is born. There's a very famous Christmas scripture. To us... A son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. In, on the throne of David, remember I mentioned David, and, and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So you can understand how they didn't understand, they couldn't see how these scriptures would be fulfilled in Jesus. And the biggest thing that they didn't understand was that Jesus came to lay his life down on the cross of Calvary. And that was so contrary to the expectation of this conquering liberator general who would come and set them free from Roman oppression. So the concept of of the Messiah originated in Judaism and in the Hebrew Bible. A Messiah is a king or a high priest traditionally anointed with holy anointing oil. Now I want to say this concept of a Messiah or a liberator is, is not something that is kind of out there that 
It's, it's either something Jesus will still do or he has done. It's all of the above. Jesus is today a liberator. And, and as I was just reflecting on some events that have happened just in, in the recent, recent week, I was just saying, I can see where I have experienced this Messiah, this Savior, this liberator, um, this Redeemer in my life. And, and let me share just one or two stories. For example, this week, um, my, my swimming pool pump really just got to the end of itself. The pump's quite old and and I've kind of been wondering how long this pump would still last. And, and I just realized, okay, we need, to, we need to sort this pump out. Now, I know new pumps are, are fairly costly. I did look, they're three to four, 4,000 rand. And I was a bit like, sure, yeah, okay, I don't know how we're going to do this. And so I, I, I looked on my phone book, um, my contact list on my phone, and I just put in pool and and I looked through the names and there were a couple of names there because over the years, usually if I, if I, you know, phone somebody, I try and save their number in my contact list. And I saw one name that jumped out of a list of four or five or six names. And I thought it was a guy that I'd used before. And I called this guy and, and it turns out that he just stays literally down the road. So he said, yeah, I'll bring the pump. So I took the pump to him. And when I m- met him, um, he kind of said, do I know you because you don't look familiar? And I also was like, sure, I don't, I don't know you. And, and I was a bit hesitant because I don't know this guy, uh, but I could have sought this pump out. And, and I, it was one of those things where it has to be done. I don't really want to do it, etc. And I was just saying, Lord, I trust you. I just trust you in this. I don't know this guy. I'm giving my, my, my old pump to him. He says he can sort it out. I don't know if he can, etc. And it's just a beautiful story because he he basically um, was able to sell me a reconditioned pump that 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 he has assured me is really good condition. Um, and he came and installed it. And actually, the whole installation process he he, he reworked the the pipes and and improved it a lot. And and then he, once he's installed this new pump, reconditioned pump, it is so much better than the previous one. It runs so beautifully and, you know, my pool's just working so much better. And so look at this. From just replacing a pump, I actually got a whole much better setup in terms of the pipes, etc. And he came and he did it. And I mean, I paid him for the, for the reconditioned pump. And when he was here installing it, I asked him, and we got chatting actually, um, and he asked me, "What do I do?" And, and I, I said to him, "I'm a pastor." And he said to me, "Why didn't you tell me this sooner?" And well, you know, I don't usually go around telling people that I'm a pastor. And when at, at the end of um, when he finished the work, I said, "Well, how much do I owe you for the installation?" Now I paid him for the pump, and he said, "He said, listen, I I actually don't want any payment for this. This is because." Uh, and, and then I just chatted to him, and he's a very committed Christian, very involved in his local church here in Peter Maritzburg. And, and, and just what a blessing the whole situation turned out. And, and, and I was just seeing, I saw my Redeemer, I saw my, my Savior in a simple situation that I've got a broken pump. 
you know, when, when I just realized and I got to sort this out, and I was like, how do I do this? Where do I go? Where do I take the pump? New pump is so expensive. And then they're still going to charge me a lot to come and take the pump out and install it, everything. It all worked out and it worked out so much better than ima I imagined. You know, the whole setup. And, and I'm just like, shock God, you are an amazing savior. You're an amazing redeemer, liberator. Turn the situation around that, you know, at the beginning of the week, I was, I was really bleak about this. How are we going to sort it out? And so I could tell you, I literally have thought about uh, at least three different stories, similar, where, where I've experienced my Messiah, my God, reaching into my life and just taking care of small little details and turning situations around. And I know it's a simple little, some of you say, well, that's, that's, that's quite a simple situation. I've got big situations. I've got stories of God turning big situations around. And I'm constantly, I'm, I'm literally every day trusting my Messiah, my Redeemer to intervene, my protector, my, um, yeah, my, my good Samaritan, all of the above. He is that for us. And, and as I was, and as I'm sharing this, I'm trusting that you, that faith would arise in you, that, that your Jesus is your Messiah. Just as he intervened in this situation in my life with a pump, he can and wants to and is able to intervene in your situation. So I'm putting up here this further concept of Messiah uh, being traditionally somebody who was anointed with holy anointing oil. Now remember, the anointing oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And the anointing symbolized the authority that the person carried, but also the anointing symbolizes the, the, the enabling of the Holy Spirit to enable you to fulfill the mission or the mandate that God has called you to. That anointing was in, meant to be symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming on you and enabling, empowering, if you're a king, to rule as a king, as a priest, to minister as a priest, whatever, whatever your function was. So Messiah comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, meaning the anointed one. And I love this. In John 4.25, remember, the Samaritan woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. She used both terms, Messiah and Christ. And, and this is important because Christos, which is the Greek word for Christ, it is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew term Messiah, also meaning the anointed one. So Christos, Christ, and Messiah, they the, they, they the same concept, the same understanding, just different languages, different words. And so what does that mean? If Jesus is the anointed one, anointed and enabled by the Holy Spirit to totally fulfill his mission as our liberator and redeemer and savior and protector. As Jesus walks in that anointing, what does that mean? We are Christian and a Christian literally means a little anointed one. Little anointed. We actually have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus ministered in. The same Holy Spirit with which he spoke to that lady, with which the Holy Spirit gave him that word of knowledge to the same Holy Spirit. And I just love this term, Christian, from the time I heard this, 
that a Christian means a little anointed one. We are meant to represent Jesus as we carry that beautiful name, Christian, little anointed one. So Christ is not Jesus' surname. Some people think Jesus Christ, Jesus' first name, Christ his surname. No, 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 no. Christ means the anointed one. But it's the same as Messiah, liberator, savior, redeemer, protector. It's just beautiful. And so I'm ministering this because this was so significant for that Samaritan woman to call Jesus and realize he's the Messiah. This is the one we've been looking forward to for thousands of years. And this, this whole concept of Jesus or the revelation that Jesus is Messiah was something the disciples wrestled with primarily because he didn't come with an army and a sword. He came with anointing of the Holy Spirit, which in his, is in essence what defines this whole concept of Mashiach and uh, uh, the, 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 um, the, the, the Messiah. And so let's just go on. So I said to you last week, and we looked at this, this scripture in John 20 verse 31, that John actually, the Apostle John, wrote in John 20 verse 31, he wrote the reason why he wrote the Gospel of John. And it's so helpful. And I'm, I'm actually reading from the Amplified Bible now. In verse 31 of John 20, he said, But these are written in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, and listen to what the Amplified says, and through believing, and cleaving to and trusting and relying upon him, you may have life through and in his name through who he is. So the Amplified Bible literally amplifies and, and, and expands the meaning of the original words. And, and the word believe, so John's point in all of this is that we would believe. And I've highlighted in the screen, the Greek word for believe is pisteo. So John's purpose is that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one promised. The, all the Old Testament prophecies about this, this, this king that would come, this, this, this person whose the government will be on upon his shoulders. John is saying, this is him. It is Jesus. And I want to highlight what the Amplified Bible says when it highlights what believing is. Because believing is more significant, I believe, than, than we, we even imagined. The power that is released through believing. And so it is the Greek word pisteo, but I've, I've looked at the, 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 the meaning and I've studied in depth. But when I was preparing to bring this word this morning to you, what the Amplified Bible says about cleaving to just really jumped out of me. Cleaving to. And I want to unpack just a little bit about what cleaving is. And um, I, I, I put a little definition of cleaving up here. Cleave literally means to adhere firmly and closely or loyally and unwaveringly. It means to stay very close to, to cling or stick to. And I put there, e.g. Velcro. <laughs> now, 
Velcro, you know, it's, it sticks and it sticks quite well. But this whole concept of being close to sticking to, this is what believing is. If you say, I pisteo Christos, I believe in Jesus, it means you stay close to, you adhere to, you stick to, you cling to, you, you are loyal and faithfully adhering firmly and closely to Christos, the Messiah. It is, it is more than just this mental ascent. I was speaking to my son and I was saying, you know, like he's doing history and you know, they're learning however many, you know, what are the five or ten causes of the First World War. And you can easily go through this and, you know, like, do you believe? Yeah, yeah, I believe that, that that's true. Okay. But what we are talking about here, it's not that, just mental ascent agreeing that, yeah, those facts are pretty true. This is, this whole concept of cleaving to, adhering firmly and closely and loyally and unwavering is a such a passionate heart attitude. And this is what John's uh, desire was in writing all these stories of Jesus that he did in the Gospel of John. His goal was that you may believe and cleave to and trust in and rely upon him. And I just want to highlight, it's him, it's Jesus. It's not a concept. It's not a, a, a truth. It is a person. It is Messiah, the Messiah. It is Christos. It is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. It is our Jesus. We adhere to, we hold on to him unwaveringly and loyally. It is amazing. And I want to share a little story with you about um, clinging to or cleaving to. And when I was uh, younger, um, my grandparents lived near the coast and my grandfather was a big fisherman. He loved fishing. And when we used to go visit them, especially in the summer holidays, we enjoyed going down to the, to the beach and go swimming. And the beach we went to, there was a, um, a reef about 100 meters out. So the waves weren't too bad up against the, the sandy beach. And we often swam over there. But we, we took goggles and we swam past the breakers, which wasn't too far past the breakers. And we went with our goggles and it was just beautiful. The, the depth was probably the height of, you know, a ceiling height. And it was so clear and we could see the bottom of the sea there. And there was a lot of rocks and seaweed, etc. But we also could see a lot of old fishing tackle, sinkers and, and uh, hooks and, and a fishing twine, etc. And we loved going diving and taking this stuff and taking it to my grandfather uh, who loved fishing. And we had a whole bucket of, of um, sinkers and things. And it was just, it was great fun. We felt like we were really helping my grandfather. And, and one, one day we were out there, I was with my dad and we were, we were a fair way away from the shore and we just snorkeling around, looking at the ocean floor, looking for, you know, anything. And there were always fish around, little fish and, you know, seaweed and just looking at the sea life. Um, and I remember I was swimming like that and suddenly I looked up and I saw five giant stingrays come swimming along the, the seabed and they were swimming literally towards us. And I actually put a picture of, of, of a stingray up here. That's the best that I could do of a stingray. 
Now, a stingray, I was, you know, nine or ten years old, but I did know that the reason it's called a stingray is because it has a sting. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a zoologist, so I don't know much more about them, but there was a high level of anxiety that came in me as I looked up and I suddenly saw these, these stingrays coming to me. And my dad was next to me, but he hadn't seen these stingrays. But instinctively, I, I just lunged for my dad and I jumped up on his back. Now, my dad's swimming with, and we, I don't think we, think, we didn't even have flippers or anything, we just had goggles. But I'm instantly, I jump on my dad's back and I'm like climbing up his back. I'm trying to get out the water. But of course, he's in the water. So what happens? And I hang on his back and, and I just remember just holding on. I was, that's, I was cleaving. I wasn't trying to get out. The, I, was, I was hanging on to him. I was clinging to him. I was cleaving to my father. <laughs> and, and that's why I thought of the story because that is the meaning of pisteo, of belief. It means to cling to, to hold on to. And I was holding on to my dad, trying to get away from these stingrays. And um, look, the, the, the reality is, my dad did not appreciate the fact that I was cleaving to him and hanging on to him. Because as I got on his back, he started singing, sinking, sorry. He was sinking and these stingrays were coming towards him. They were literally going underneath us. And he's going down now with me on top of him towards these stingrays. So anyway, I mean, he didn't, uh, I mean, it was all fine. Nothing happened. No, the stingrays carried on, you know, they swam underneath us and they went off. It was just a, a moment where I clung to my dad. I cleaved on to him. And I mean, afterwards we joked about this, how you know, cleaving to him really probably wasn't the best idea. But I'm sharing this story just to give you an example of what pisteo is, what believe is. John wrote the whole Gospel of John with the intention that as we read the stories, as we read the story, for example, of the Samaritan woman, that we would cleave to Jesus. We'd cleave to Christos. We would cleave to our Messiah, our Liberator our Savior, our Redeemer, that we would cleave to Him with all our heart. It is a hard attitude of adhering to Him loyally and wholeheartedly our whole lives through. And the Bible says, that Scripture says, that, that we may receive life. Look what, that you may have life. That you may have life. You see, folks, when we adhere to Jesus, we receive life. I, my little story of my pump that I shared with you. Initially, when that happened, I was I was rather despondent. Like, how do I do this? What do I do? What's the best way to do it? And also the most cost-effective way. I don't want to throw money away. And, and it's not really money. We hadn't really budgeted to fix a, a pump for a couple of thousand rand this month. And it, it just, my Redeemer came through for me in that situation. My Redeemer came through. And... Um, I, I, I just have a couple of other stories, but, but let me just carry on. Pisteo Christos. Cleave to your liberator. Cleave to your Messiah. This is the message of John. And I want to actually carry on and just see if we can just cover some, some, of, these, some of these other realities here. So the Samaritan woman... It says in verse 27, at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? 
or why are you talking with her? They marveled. Why did they do this? And we highlighted this last week, the barriers that Jesus crossed in talking to her. But I just want to highlight this, that last time I said there were four, but as I was thinking about the story, I realized there's probably another barrier that Jesus crossed, and that's why I put it on the screen. He crossed, last week we looked at gender barriers, male, female, race and cultural barriers between Jews and Samaritan, religious barriers. They, they were very different. Moral barriers. He was upright. She was an immoral woman by their standards. And finally, I want to say this. I think Jesus crossed a generational barrier. We don't know how old the Samaritan woman was. We know Jesus was about 30, 31 when this happened. But this woman, we do know, had been divorced five times, married and divorced five times, and was now with a man that she wasn't even married to. And so we, we don't know exactly, but, but I, I reckon she could have been 10 to 20 years older than Jesus. And here we see Jesus again crossing another barrier, the generational barrier. Most adults can relate quite comfortably to anybody that is within 10 years of their age. It's just, it's just quite easy to do that. When you are relating to anybody that's more than 10 years older than you, you are stretched out of your comfort zone. That is just what sociologists tell us. And so here's another barrier that Jesus is crossing over. It says, in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, and, and, and I love this, folks, you know, we know that Jesus was tired. We looked at that. He was weary from the journey. And, and if you're tired, two things do. Eat something and get some rest. And we need people who can help us. And, and, and I do appreciate this about the disciples. People that can help us and make sure that we're eating well and we're getting rest, etc. And, and I love it. You know, I've, we have some people in our church um, who, um, who, for example, just make sure that we are taking leave and, and, and have spoken to us about to ensure that we do take leave. And, and, and we just value that so much. But Jesus said, but he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is such a profound truth. You know, I have seen some people who have just been so on fire for God, in the center of God's will, with such a sense of purpose that knowing this is God's will for their lives. And for whatever reason, have moved into a space of just purposelessness, let me just say, not knowing which way, where to go, etc. And, and it, is, it is just so, it just robs so, so much from people when they don't have a purpose. I believe the enemy, that's, that's one of his goals, is to rob you of a sense of God's will and purpose for your life. But folks, Jesus, I believe, wants to give you a purpose. He said, this is my bread. This is my, what does bread do? This is the, or my food. Food nourishes you. Jesus said, this is nourishing. This, this is energizing. And so I pray for you. And this is one of my prayers for you as I bring this word. That you would know God's will for your life. And then that would be food 
to you, nourish you, sustain you, energize you. And he went on to say, and to finish his work. And to finish his work, to finish the will of God. And, and this is something that I think is, is, is often so sad. You can see people getting fired for the purpose of God and wanting to serve God. But then just kind of peter out and not finish the work that God has called them to. It's my, one of my passions. I love running. And one of the things that I do literally as, as a prophetic act, whenever I run, I will always try and finish the run just with a little bit of extra effort at the end. Just put a little bit of extra speed in. And it's a prophetic act to saying, I'm wanting to finish and I'm wanting to finish strong. It's such a, such a prayer of my heart. And I pray that for every single one of you. Um, I want to just go to, I want to actually go to the slide. And I want to go to verse 39. It says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him, because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. I just want to finish with this verse. Yeah is the same word, pisteo. The word believe that we've looked at, cleave to, adhere to, wholeheartedly and loyally to Jesus. This, this attitude of the heart that John seeks to bring into people. This word occurs more than 50 times in the Gospel of John. And just in this story, it occurs three times. And this is the first time it occurs. It occurs in, in, in the next two verses as well. And many of the Samaritans of that city believe, pisteo, cleave to Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified. She had, And this was simply a testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Now, what's so interesting is that we know Jesus just simply shared a word of knowledge with her that she had been married five times before and the husband and the guy she was living with now was not a husband. He didn't share a whole life. But folks, the way that Jesus spoke to her, she felt like she knew that he knew her. And and the amazing thing, look how it liberated her. Remember we shared about how she came midday to the well. She didn't come with all the other women because of the shame and probably rejection she experienced because of her immoral lifestyle. That's just the most likely scenario why she came all alone at midday. People didn't do this at midday. It was too hot. Carrying heavy jars of water at midday, it just wasn't done. But here she's transformed. She goes into the village and it says many put their faith in Jesus because of what she said. Folks, this is my Jesus. This is my Jesus. And I want to say this. When we come to Jesus, to know that he knows, but yet he doesn't shame us, and that he doesn't condemn us, is just so liberating. To know that you are known. And this was, she said, he told me all that I ever did. We know he didn't, but she felt the way he spoke to her. She felt known. 
yet not condemned and not shamed. And I want to invite you. I want to invite you. I want to pray with you. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you do not currently pisteo, the Greek word, cleave to Jesus as your Savior, I want to pray with you right now. And it's a simple prayer, but it's a prayer of the heart. Remember, the Lord looks at the prayer that comes from your heart. Would you pray with me? Just close your eyes and just repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you as I am. I know that you know. And Lord, I ask you just to forgive me for the, for the ways that I have gone that have not pleased you. Forgive me, Lord. I turn from those ways. And Lord, I say I believe in you. I cleave to you. With all my heart, I adhere, adhere to you as my Messiah, my Savior, my Christ, my Liberator, my Lord, and my King. Thank you, Jesus, that I can know you and be known by you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. And I just want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, won't you let us know if that prayer, if you prayed to put your faith in Christ wholeheartedly, adhere to Him, cleave to Him, we would love to know. So please let us know. God bless you.